You are Locked On Jets, your daily podcast on the New York Jets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Friday, July 27th, 2018. I am John B. from gangreennation.com. If you like this show, subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify and leave the show a good review in iTunes. We certainly appreciate that. Today we are going to jump into the mailbag as training camp really gets started in Florham Park. The Jets uh, will have their first practice, and as at the time we are recording this show, Sam Darnold remains unsigned, so we still have a couple hours at the time we are recording this show for the Jets to get this thing done. We're certainly hoping that they will, but let's jump on in. Our first question, uh, if you were the GM, wouldn't you give Sam Darnold what he wants? Doesn't it seem petty that Darnold hasn't signed over offset language or signing bonus payments, or am I missing something? And you know, I think this, obviously, if you listen to the, the show we did last night, I agree with that. And I just am going to reiterate how small the stakes are for the Jets. This is not a case where, you know, that along the lines of what you may have seen a decade ago where you're talking about a 5 to $10 million difference what the team's paying. The team already knows what it's paying him. So it's, you know, it's probably an issue of when are they paying him the signing bonus or what is the offset language going to look like? An offset language is will the Jets get money back if they cut Darnold and he signs somewhere else? Will the you know, if, if he signs with a new team, will they get back the money that the new team is paying him? And the stakes are so small for the Jets, and this is such an outlier scenario that it's really difficult for me to justify Darnold not being in training camp over either of these issues. And, you know, if you read across the Internet, you'll see writers saying things like, you know, it's both sides' fault and, you know, the agent's difficult to work with, you know, people will write stuff like that. Look, at the end of the day, these issues are so small, they should not keep Darnold from being in training camp. And the Jets, I mean, I don't know, you can use the word petty, I just think it's dumb. I mean, really, I don't see what the point of fighting the, the these these are such small things. These are, these are things that, first of all, it's a, and especially the, the offset language, because one, it's a scenario that's probably not even going to happen. And two, even if it does happen, we're talking probably like 1% to 2% of the salary cap that it would save the Jets money on you know, years down the line, you know, three years down the line. This is dumb. Don't, you, know, you, you have to pick your battles, and this, this is not the battle to pick. And you know, maybe this agent, and I know this agent is, does not have a, a reputation for being, he, he has a reputation for driving a hard bargain, but I, I, this is not the agent. You know, it, it, it's a different scenario than than a guy who is trying to work out, you know, a second contract where a player is trying to get a lot of money and the two sides might be far apart. That's not the scenario here. Just because the agent has a, has a reputation for driving a hard bargain, that doesn't mean that this is the the uh, the problems on the player side right here. The Jets just need to be smart because these are issues that just do not make much of a difference to them. So just get Darnold into camp. So, yeah, I, I would agree with that that statement. Next question. Two years ago, we saw Joey Bosa's contract dispute spill into training camp, and this year it seems to be the same case with Sam. Do you see this as a trend moving forward? What do you think is the cause of this? Are the rookies slash Asians realizing that they have the leverage over these teams that just invested a high pick in the player? 
Well, I think if you look at uh, the trend since the 2011 collective bargaining agreements, the number of holdouts has gone way down. It's it's very rare to see a rookie holdout these days. And as I said last night, as I just said, I just think that the cause of it is the team not being smart. And then in the Chargers case, if you go back and if you go back and read through what happened there, the Chargers took a ridiculous stance. Now I'm saying any scenario where the where the uh, player holds out is ridiculous, but if you go back and look at what actually happened during that negotiation with the Chargers, I mean they were they were being really really stubborn. I mean they were not giving an inch. You know, they wanted the they wanted both the signing bonus delayed and offsets in the contract. So they were not you know they were. It was just kind of silly what the Chargers did, and I, I don't know whether the Jets are being as stubborn. My guess is that they're not, but these are again these are just such small issues that they should not be a hang up. These should be formalities, and that, you know at the end of the day, these, these are not these are not the types of things you, you draw the line in the sand on. Where you draw the line in the sand is is a decent player who, you know, looking for a contract that's too much for what he brings to the table you know you draw the line in the sand when you know the way the Jets did with say a DeMario Davis where you liked Davis but maybe he was seeking too much money for what he brought to the table so you, you move on that's where you draw the line in the sand you draw the line in the sand we'll say Brian Winters was this is something the Jets did not do where you have an okay guard who you know you, you bid again. You don't bid against yourself to just to keep an okay guard. So you know there have been scenarios where the Jets have been smart drawing the line in the sand. There have been situations where they've not been smart drawing the, where they haven't drawn the line in the sand where they probably should have. This is a scenario where there's no reason to draw the line in the sand. Just get the deal done. It's it's really that simple. Next question. What do you? Th- and this one's an email. Um, what do you think of going all in for Aaron Donald with two first round trading two first round picks and maybe more? Well, I'll tell you the same thing I, I usually say when somebody brings up a star player who's having contract difficulties with his team. Is first of all, we can't assume that the guy's going to be traded. You know, a player of that caliber, I'll believe that he's going to be traded when I see it. Now, in terms of making a deal for that player, I understand the sentiment, and you know I appreciate the fact that you're actually that when you ask this question, you're actually bringing up that it's going to be a big price because I think frequently when there's some play when we're talking about a star player, somebody will suggest a trade that's really not that good of a trade. You know when I hear that some star player is having a contract dispute, I'll see somebody tweet out McCagnan, get on the phone, and. I, I always kind of chuckle when I, when I see something like that because, first of all, I, I think McCagnan knows when a player, when a good player is becoming available, and I think he's probably inclined to make a move. You know, he's, he's probably, you don't need to tell McCagnan that the good players become available. Man's an NFL GM. He's going to know that a good player is becoming available. So, you know, I, I kind of chuckle when, when I see something like that. But the second thing that make, makes me kind of chuckle is, you know, if a guy's that good, the Jets, Jets are probably not going to be the only team interested. So it's going to take, you know, you're probably going to be bidding against another couple teams, which raises the price of any trade. So I do appreciate the fact that, you know, you're at least probably, you're you're at least suggesting um, that it, it is going to be costly to get a guy like Aaron Donald if the Rams make him available. You know, I, I would not, you know, I, I, it's tough, it would be tough to complain to trade for a guy like Aaron Donald, but my view on 
moves like that is, you know, the whole reason you have a scouting department is that you want to be able to draft stars who are going to be cheap for four to five years. You know, that, that's the whole point of having the scouting department is that, yeah, I know draft picks are not as sure as the established player, but the whole point of, you know, trying to have, the whole point of scouting, the whole point of trying to, you know, build a team is that you, you, you have to be able to find the players. You have to be, I don't know you're going to find the next Aaron Donald, but you need to be able to find the next great player in the draft. And when you do, it's cheaper than the established guy because because it'll be on this rookie contract. So, you know, the way I kind of view it is, you know, well, in those two first-round picks, you've cost yourself a chance to, you know, draft two good players, you know, two potential stars. And in addition, because those two players you draft are going to be cheap, you'll have extra money that would have gone to Don, you know, Donald's going to need a new contract. So you won't be spending as much, which means you have extra money to find extra, find other players in free agency. So you're talking, you know, maybe three to four players you're trading for a guy and Donald's great, but yeah, I think that's my, that's my issue with any of these trades. And I mean, you can do one of those deals every now and then just to get the established star you know, every now and then you, you can make one of those deals, but you can't make them, you can't make them too frequently. And the Jets just made a deal. The Jets just traded three second round picks to get the quarterback, which the quarterback, the guy you'd make that deal for. I don't know that you can co- keep making these, these trades where you're giving up these premium draft picks because you do need to fill out the rest of the roster. So, you know, I, I, I understand the sentiment. I, I don't think it's a terrible... I mean, I, I understand if you if you say yes where you're coming from, but, I, you know, you just look at the number of players you'd be giving. I mean, again, you're talking two first-round picks, two chances to add a star, and then the money that would take to give Donald, Donald a new contract, that's, you know, that, that's another player or two so you're talking about three to four good players you're, you're potentially giving up to fill out the rest of your roster for one and you know I, I again i understand the idea but i think in light of the fact that you just made a big trade that you just gave up a number of premium draft picks i probably would be hesitant to make a move like that blue chew brings you the first chewable with the same fda approved active ingredients as viagra and cialis so you know they work you can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready when an opportunity arises. Blue Chew, that's blue like the color blue, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W, is prescribed online and st- ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we have a special deal for our listeners. Visit Blue Chew and get your first shipment free when you use the promo code Locked On. Pay just $5 shipping. Again, that's B L U E C H E W dot com, bluechew.com, and promo code Locked On to try it free. Next question uh, Do you have any dark horse under the radar guys that you think will make the final roster? Let me give you a guy who he, he was on the team last year, but a guy who I think could be a dark horse to contribute is Neil Sterling, the tight end. Uh, Sterling did not play much last year, but he did see pretty extensive playing time in the season finale at New England and actually put together the best receiving game of any Jets tight end. And I think we know the tight end position is not one where the Jets have a lot of quality, not one where they have a lot of upside. So he's a guy who's kind of off the radar who I think could actually end up being a player for this team and I'm not predicting that he's going to be but he probably he probably would be my pick if you're asking me for a guy like nobody's heard of who actually ends up being a contributor now I think the more likely scenario is that he probably gets cut but 
I think that that would probably be my my dark horse for you know making the team and contributing because the word out of the buzz and this is I always say that you have to be careful with with stuff like this because it doesn't really matter but after his you know quality game week 17 at New England last year the buzz was that he actually had a pretty good off-season program so you know there there's some things to suggest maybe he's trending up so that I guess that would be my my pick if I had to choose somebody next question who has been the Jets tight, best tight end this century Becht Baker Keller what would Herndon or Le- and or Leggett need to do to become the best this century I feel like one good thrown block would put either of them above Amaro Bubba Franks or that guy we got from the Raiders for a first round pick it was Doug Jolly and the Jets um not only did the Jets trade a first round pick for Jolly they got a second round pick from Oakland in return that they used on Mike Nugent so essentially they traded away a first round pick for a kicker and a bad tight end for one year and you know I will I've said this before I will never get over the fact that 2005 the Jets did that because I wanted Heath Miller I wanted them to draft Heath Miller and of course the Steelers drafted Heath Miller he put together a very good career at uh, a tight end so let's let's move on um you know, you you bring up a group of tight ends that is not exactly the greatest. <laughs> this, that, I mean, that is not that is not a murderer's row of tight ends right there. I guess the best one I'd have to, I, if you're asking me, I mean, this, that that is not a good group. I guess Keller. I think he was probably the most productive. He was never a guy who developed into the player you were hoping. You know, you you were hoping he'd be. A star level guy, a, a, a matchup nightmare. He never really developed into that. And then, of course, after he left the Jets, his career was pretty much over because he suffered a devastating knee injury. But he, you know, he never really. You know, he was a guy who was supposed to be a, an athletic mismatch. He was never really a guy you, you were counting on to develop as a blocker. And he ne- he did not develop into a blocker. He was mainly a, a pure receiver. But he gave you enough in the receiving game. I mean, he was. I think he was more productive than the other guys. Just to what he brought as a receiver. He did have that one really solid year 2011 so even though even though he never developed into that elite threat that uh top notch mismatch uh, he was the most productive of the group just because i think out of, almost out of default because there really are not many other options there what would herndon need to do to to be the best um you know be a well-rounded player i guess you know be a guy who's a threat in the passing game and a quality blocker because the jets haven't really had many of those at the tight end position and if he does you know he gives them a couple of quality seasons and earns a second contract i mean that would put him up ahead of a lot of those guys next question uh be beside henry anderson getting hurt what do you think will keep nathan shepherd on the field what transition as a rookie do you think will be most difficult for him well, I think, you know, it's up to Shepard. Um, so Anderson, of course, is the guy they acquired from the Colts, a defensive lineman who projects to be a starter. Shepard was the third-round pick. Small school prospect. Um, I think if Shepard shows that he's ready to play, the Jets won't hesitate to throw him in the lineup. I mean, that's um, something that... I know, the Jets drafted him in the third round. They clearly like him. They think he's got a future with the team. So if he shows that he's ready to play the future can be now they they can throw him right in so i think that you know a big a big camp that shows that he's ready i think he can earn a starting job and now i think the jets have set themselves up that they're not going to be forced to throw him into the lineup before he's ready they've they've given themselves some insurance to to make sure that um 
he can come along at his own pace. But I think that that just if he if he's going out there dominating in preseason, dominating in training camp, then he'll he'll get his he'll get onto the field. What do I think will be the most difficult for him? I think that the most difficult thing is that he's coming from a small school. So when you come from a small school, usually you're just so much bigger, stronger, faster than the other guys that you can dominate without, you know, you, you, you just by setting foot on the field, you dominate. You don't need to play with good technique, you know, your pad level. And I'll say this about Shepard is there's a perception that just because you're coming from small school, that means that your technique's not good. I'm not sure that's necessarily the case with Shepard, but Technique's much more important than the NFL pad level, stuff like that, you, you know, using your hands. In a small school, it doesn't really matter. You can get away with bad technique if you're a dominant force. So I think just, even if even though I think his technique's actually better than a lot of people give him credit for, just the fact he's going to have to use good technique to win, I think that's an, that's an adjustment. So I think that it's the quality of play, because the, he's he was not facing, I mean, he was facing guys who have no future in the NFL. He's facing guys who, you know, probably weren't more for the most part weren't even good enough to make NFL training camps. Now he's going to be going up against legitimate NFL players, so the, the level of competition rises, which means that he can't get away. You know, it's it's one thing to have decent technique and and just have it in your mind. You know what? I don't need to play. I don't need to use great technique. It's another to need to use great technique on every single play to win. So I think that that's the biggest adjustment for him. Next question, uh, when will you listen to your dad and write more articles about Joe Klecko in the Hall of Fame? And this is something I've discussed in the past. My dad always tells me I should write about why Joe Klecko should be in the Hall of Fame. He, you know, he's, I think he's a little upset with me that I haven't done it yet. And I guess now my listeners are too, so may, I, guess, I guess I'll have to do it sooner rather than later. Next question, um, and I'm being called out here. Genuinely surprised the Jets aficionado can't remember how Tebow left the Broncos. Selective Almesia, does it cover all of that season? And if so, where where can I sign up? So you're talking about uh, the show we did yesterday where I mentioned that there were three players who were cut before the end of the three. Uh, in the last decade, there have been three quarterbacks who were first-round picks who were cut before their fourth season ended. And I, I mentioned that it was, it was Johnny Manziel, uh, Brandon Whedon, and Tim Tebow. I didn't say Tebow left the Broncos. I didn't say the Broncos cut Tebow. What I said was Tebow was cut before the end of his fourth season. So Tebow was traded to the Broncos at the end of his second season. He played with the Jets in his third season. The Jets cut him after his third season. So that that was the point I was making. <laughs> yes, I, I think, though, we, we would all be well served to forget the 2012 season, forget Tebow's time with the Jets. I think... Um, you know, if you can find, if anybody out there can figure out a way to forget that season, I'm all ears, and I think a lot of us would like that very much. And our last question, it goes back to Darnold, another frustration, another frustrated fan. If the Jets release Darnold before the expiration of his rookie contract, the last thing they should be worried about is not recouping the money. The Jets will be lambasted for picking a putative franchise quarterback that is a bust. This looks like a Mets negotiation. No. I'm not a Mets fan, so I mean, I I can't speak to. I'll let the Mets fans speak to that. But yeah, I mean, this just really feels like a, if if he's not in camp by the time the first practice. And the one thing I would like to emphasize is, look, at the end of the day, I, I think five years from now we're probably not going to remember this. No, nobody's going to care. I mean, if Darnold is is as good as advertised, is anybody really going to care? I mean, do you remember the Philip? Now I rem, I'm, I guess I'm going to contradict this, but. I, 
by remembering that Philip Rivers held out, but how many people actually are like me and remember that Philip Rivers held out his rookie year? At the end of the day, you know, if you're a good player, you'll figure it out. But it's frustrating, and it just it really feels like a self-inflicted wound. It feels like the type of thing that should not be happening, and it's just the type of thing that it gets you. Fr- I see. I think the frustration is that. This franchise just finds ways to shoot itself in the foot. It just always happens. It doesn't matter who's running the show. It doesn't matter who the GM is. It doesn't matter who the head coach is. They just find ways to, to, to commit these self-inflicted errors. And it's just frustrating. And it's especially frustrating right now because we're in such an era of good feelings with this team because of the quarterback you drafted. Finally, you know, you have your, we have our guy. feel like the future's bright. Just get him into camp so we can go back to being happy, so we can go back to being excited and optimistic about the future. Let's just make it happen, you know. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'll let the Mets fans speak to whether this is a Mets move, because I, I'm not a Mets fan, but it's just one of those things that it should be done. And it's just, there's no reason. It, and again, it, it's, I think it's a self-inflicted wound if, he's not, if they don't get this thing done soon. So I just hope that they get it done. And I, I totally agree with the, the sentiment that, recouping a million dollars or two million dollars in the event Darnold is a bust is really the last thing the Jets should be worried about. It's the last thing you should be playing hardball over at this point. And listen, as I said earlier on this show, there are points where you want your GM to play hardball. You know, when you're talking about a, a tough negotiation with a guy you want to keep but you don't want to overpay, that's when you play hardball. You don't play hardball with your quarterback with your, you know, your franchise quarterback's rookie contract when you're talking about offset language in a scenario that only comes into play if he's cut. That's not where you play hardball. So, you know, get this done, Jets, please. That'll do it for our show. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. If you enjoy the show, subscribe to it on iTunes or Spotify and leave the show a good review in iTunes. Hope you have a great weekend. We'll be back on Monday to talk more about the Jets.